Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Washington, D.C. with my new friend Joanne Hill, the author of Secret Washington, D.C. by Reedy Press. Joanne moved to D.C. about 20 years ago for her husband's job. She fell in love with the culture, the neighborhoods, and the people who live here. In this episode, Joanne and I talk about the significance of the carousel in the National Mall, how a 400-year-old bonsai tree that survived the Hiroshima bombing got to D.C., and the Barbie Pond on Avenue Q. Hear about these three amazing experiences, plus so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash DC. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Indulge in the timeless production of O by Cirque du Soleil, an aquatic tapestry of artistry, surrealism, and theatrical romance performed in, on, and above the water. Intermission is over, now performing only at Bellagio Las Vegas. Buy tickets now at CirqueDeSoleil.com forward slash O, or learn how to enter to win one of three pairs of tickets by visiting today's show notes. Hey, Joanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. Today we're talking about Washington, D.C., and it's one of my favorite cities to walk around because there's so much awesome architecture. There's It's such a historical significance, and it's just a great way to get out and explore and enjoy the fresh air as you're uh, having a great time. So I'm glad to have you here, and I'm glad uh, Reedy Press introduced us because your book, Secret uh, Washington, D.C., I know has like a ton of tips and tricks and all these cool things that... When people think about D.C., they don't always know that they're there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thanks for having me. I think when people think about Washington, D.C., they think about the monuments and memorials and the museums and, of course, government and so forth. And, of course, that makes up a lot of the city, right? That's a huge component of Washington and really is the fabric of the city. But I think living here for over 19 years – I have explored and seen so much more beyond that. So there are a lot of, of course, hidden gems, off the beaten uh, path locations, great restaurants. The dining scene in D.C. has improved and it continues to get better and better and better as the years go on. Um, Lots of outdoor green spaces. So there's, yes, the monuments and memorials, and I would be happy to talk to you about some fun stories and hidden histories about them. Um, But there are also some really great gems to explore as well. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I think I, I've been to DC, I don't know how many times, probably like 10 or 12 in my lifetime. And you could probably spend your entire vacation just in the Smithsonian, but I think you'd, you'd be really missing out if you didn't go out and kind of explore some of the other facets of, of the city and the monuments. They're fantastic. You have to see them when you're there, but you're going to spend maybe what, 10 minutes at the Lincoln Memorial. You've seen pretty much everything. You sit on the right. steps for a few minutes and it's like, <laughs> okay, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? You're like, you gotta, you gotta figure something else out. Yeah, I think what a nice thing to do if you're on the mall, because of course, visitors and locals, we go on the mall a lot. I know I go running on the mall. I walk my dog. I ride my bike. So the National Mall, I think, is a great place to explore because you could rent bikes. You could obviously go for a nice walk. So it's a nice way to explore the green space, too, kind of between the U.S. Capitol and all the way to the Lincoln Memorial, but also get some, you know, physical exercise, being able to really explore the city and get out into that green space as well. Oh, absolutely. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned that you've been uh, in D.C. for about 19 years. Like, What brought you to the city? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I'm a former teacher, and I went to graduate school to get my master's in elementary education in Pennsylvania. 
And my husband, though, got a job down here. And so we moved here about 19 years ago for my husband's job. And we initially moved on a temporary basis. And of course, 19 years later, (laughs) here we are. But honestly, we fell in love with D.C. and we got to explore the city and really got to know the city. Um, We've also kind of lived in different areas. So for listeners who are not familiar with D.C., D.C. is basically split up into four different quadrants. There's Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, Southwest. And so, and each quadrant is a little bit different. So like the White House and so forth, that's in Northwest. Capitol Hill goes into Southeast. I live in Northeast. So I've had a chance to live pretty much almost in every quadrant. And that's been really nice too, because some quadrants are more, you know, outdoor, water, river based, and others are more monuments, memorials, museums based, more downtown or Chinatown. But it's you know, kind of it gives you a different uh, variety throughout the city as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's good that you've you've lived in all those different areas. Plus, like I know a lot of people that they say they're from DC, but really they're from like more like the little suburbs, like Arlington or some of the other different cities that are around there as well. Yeah. Now, if if people are planning their visit to DC, uh, what time of the year should they plan on visiting? It based on the weather, or maybe like there's certain events or festivals that happen throughout the year. I think the best two seasons to visit D.C. are spring and fall, uh, mostly because the weather is just, it's pretty unbeatable. The spring here is gorgeous. You probably are familiar with the cherry blossoms. And so the cherry blossoms, of course, there's a cherry blossom festival that happens every spring. It's around March or April, depending on the bloom season. But other than just going to the Tidal Basin and around um, where the monuments are and so forth, where, of course, a lot of the cherry blossom trees are, they also are around the entire city. So the entire city is kind of in bloom. The weather is very uh, moderate, you know, starting to get warm, but it's not too warm. We have a great arboretum here. It's called the National Arboretum. It's free, as is so many other places in the city. And the arboretum, again, in the spring, is just stunning. I mean, the flowers, the trees, the green, um, it's just so verdant and lush and it's beautiful. The fall is also a really nice time. Mid-September, I would say even through about mid-November, I'm from Pennsylvania where it starts getting cold around mid-October. Here in DC, it stretches out a little bit more. We still have some warm days in November. Um, Last Thanksgiving was in the 70s, which was a little bit of an anomaly, but those are the two best seasons. Summer, of course, a lot of people come in the summer because it's summertime. Summer is very hot here. It's very humid. It can be really hot. And of course, the winter, it's fine. And the the, uh, museums and so forth to go inside kind of give you a little bit reprieve from the cold, but it is cold. So I would say fall and spring for sure. All right. Yeah. And then DC is one of those weird towns where because of all the politicians and, and everything that's there as the kind of the center of our government, you know, when you're planning your trip, like it's a little bit of a different schedule, right? Because when they're in session, the city's just slammed and packed with and like a beehive of activity. But when they're out of session, it's actually probably a pretty good time to visit, right? <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. So Congress is out of session usually for about two weeks in August, which of course does lend to it being warm and hot here. But you're right. It's not as hustle and bustle. It's kind of quiet, actually. And a lot of people who live in D.C., just like a lot of other major cities, you know, they'll leave in the summer to travel, right? Especially August and July, people will go to the beach. They might go out to the eastern shore in Maryland and so forth. So if you're looking for lesser crowds and for being a little quieter, August can be really nice. You just have to be prepared to know that it's going to be warm. 
But some of the part, I mean, I think some of the fun part of living in DC too is the motorcades and seeing, you know, the other day I was riding my bike and I rode my bike by a past Bernie Sanders. You know, you do get these sightings because a lot of senators and congressmen and women, they live in Capitol Hill or they live in the DC area, at least even if it's just for, you know, parts of the year. And so it's not that off, you know, offbeat or or strange to kind of have a sighting. So that's fun too, seeing helicopters and seeing, you know, like I said, the, the motorcade go by. That's part of living here as well. I mean, it can help, it can make it fun. It can also, of course, be a little annoying with traffic and so <laughs> forth. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but the other great thing about DC, it's a very walkable city. And so, of course, you can drive and so forth, but it's a city. So parking isn't always readily available. I walk and I ride my bike a lot. Uh, the Metro is really, really great here. It's very, very accessible. It takes you pretty much everywhere you want to go. It's a pretty extensive line, actually the second biggest uh, Metro system in the country and it's pretty efficient. So, you know, you don't have to have a car when you're in DC. I think that's one of the really great advantages of visiting the city because everything is so public transportation friendly here, buses, Metro and so forth. Oh, that's really awesome. Well, speaking of transportation and everything like that, let's talk about getting to DC. And so I, I know there's several different airports that are there in like that DC area. Is there one that you recommend? It sounds like once we do arrive at the airport, we shouldn't rent a car. We should just take the public transportation into the city and then use the, the local transportation. That way we don't have to worry about renting a car. Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest and the closest airport is Ronald Reagan National Airport. And so, and that's DCA is their um, three-letter acronym. That's technically in Virginia, but it's literally right over the water in Arlington. So, you know, there are no airports actually in D.C. Reagan is the closest. You can take the metro goes right to Reagan. There's actually a metro stop for Ronald Reagan Airport. When you come out of the, the airport, of course, like any other major city airport, there are, you know, taxis, Uber, and so forth. That would be the easiest. If you're flying internationally, uh, Dulles is another airport which is further out. So that's about 40 minutes or 45 minutes outside of the city. But whenever I travel internationally, mostly I'm flying out of Dulles. Uh, Reagan is more domestic. And then there's Baltimore Airport, BWI, which of course is in Baltimore, which is about 45 minute drive from Washington. There are times that I fly out of Baltimore because there are direct flights on Southwest or, you know, there are certain locations that Baltimore accesses more. But I would say for the most part, Reagan is your best bet followed by Dulles, and then third would probably be Baltimore. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, don't rent a car, take advantage of the public transportation. Is it easy getting a, a pass or something like that as far as that way you don't have to put in the coins or swipe your card every time? Yeah, absolutely. They have these things when you go to the metro station and really any major, any metro station that you go to, you can get a daily pass or you can get, I think they offer like a seven-day pass that you can buy that it's obviously good for a week. It's a certain amount of money that you can use it the entire week as many times as you want throughout the metro. And I should say also the metro runs through D.C., but also in Northern Virginia and also out to Maryland. So it connects a lot of the city. So if you're in D.C., for example, and you want to visit Arlington Cemetery, which is right across the bridge in Virginia, you can take the metro there. Or if you want to go out into Maryland and go to, for example, Bethesda, which has lots of restaurants and other sites, the metro goes there too. So the metro really is pretty extensive. It takes you mostly anywhere you want to go. The only place the metro doesn't really go into is in the city is Georgetown. 
But what you could do and what many people do is you can take the metro to Foggy Bottom, which is where George Washington University is. And then from there, it's either a short walk or you could take a taxi or so forth. But it's close enough that it makes it pretty convenient to get to. Oh, nice. Okay. Now, as far as like once we're in the city and and picking out our hotel, what part of the city should we we book our hotel? Or are there any parts of the city where we should like, "Eh, let's maybe stay away from that part? Great question. There are a couple spots. So I always think it's fun to stay near the White House, right? So that's downtown in Northwest DC. And the Mayflower Hotel is this historical, amazing hotel that presidents have stayed there, ambassadors, different foreign leaders have stayed there. And it's steps away from the White House. So it's very conveniently located. It's also, there are lots of stories of spies meeting there and so forth. The famous picture of President Bill Clinton and Monk Lewinsky hugging when she was an intern was taken at the Mayflower. So there's a lot of fun history, um, kind of scandalous stories of the Mayflower. If you don't, though, want to stay, not everybody wants to stay kind of in the hustle and bustle of downtown, then there's an area in D.C. in Southwest that is the Wharf. And that's an area that actually has just been revitalized in the last five to six years or so for. It's on the water. It's on the river. And they basically took this area that had some restaurants. There's a huge fish market there. It's one of the oldest fish markets in the country. But it wasn't a really thriving area. And they, with tons of funding, they completely revitalized the area. I mean, it was a multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar investment And now this area is thriving. So because it's on the water, obviously, it's very picturesque. It's very pretty. There are boats. You can rent kayaks. You can rent paddleboards. But there are a number of restaurants and bars. There's this great theater called The Anthem, which is a musical venue. There are places like Ben & Jerry's. So it's family-friendly as well. And it's also just beautiful. They did a really nice job. They tried to kind of model it off of, you would say, maybe like Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco or um, or the harbor in Baltimore. It's like those, you know, premier water uh, side. But there are, great, there are great hotels there too, which I know I've had friends stay there at the hotel, which just makes it so convenient. The metro is right nearby as well. So it's a really nice area. A little up along from the wharf is an area called Navy Yard right up the river. So right around the same area in Southeast. And the Navy Yard it's another area that really has transformed over the last decade or so. Again, you'll see lots of boats, you know, docked at the marina and so forth. There's tons of outdoor seating and outdoor dining. They do live concerts Friday nights in the summer that they're free that you can go in and just bring, you know, a blanket or chairs and so forth. And that would be different. A bluegrass concert or there'll be like a jazz musician. Um, and there is just tons to do there. You, again, can rent kayaks and paddleboards. So, I usually go towards the places that are outside that you can, you know, spend time outside. Even though you're in the city, I still love being outside on the water. So those are my three places near the White House, downtown or the wharf or Navy Yard would be all three great places would be great to stay. Right on. Do you have any recommendations for uh, of a specific hotel in the wharf or the Navy Yard area? So in the wharf, there is a hotel called the Canopy Hotel. And I've never stayed there. But it's by Hilton. It's Canopy by Hilton. I haven't stayed there per se just because obviously I live here. But there's a restaurant. There's a rooftop bar there. But it's also just centrally located at the wharf. So if you stay there, you're kind of in the middle of everything. And then in Navy Yard, a brand new hotel just opened up in the last, I would say the last year, called the Thompson Hotel. 
And that's also right on the water in Navy Yard. And there's a great restaurant in the bottom. And then there's a great rooftop bar um, that has a nice restaurant called Anchovy Social that I actually was at recently. And the rooftop bar is great because you get a beautiful views, of course, the water, but then National Stadium where our baseball team, the Nats play, that's a Navy Yard as well. So when you're on the rooftop of the Thompson Hotel and Navy Yard, you are basically looking into the stadium. And so that's really cool too. So if there's a game going on, you hear the rat, you know, the roars and so forth of the crowd, but you also almost can kind of watch the game from up there too. So it's it's a really cool spot and it's new. So it's very posh, you know, very chic, very trendy and so forth. Oh, that's awesome. When I go to baseball games, I don't really watch the game too much anyways. I'm normally just drinking and talking to my friends. So it's almost the same thing without having to pay for a ticket. Wait, that's exactly what I do. My husband always jokes that I literally go to baseball games just to socialize and have excuses to just eat bad food. And he's he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about some of like those hidden secrets from your book. Let's talk about a couple of those places that, that again, we know about the monuments, we know about the museums and everything else like that. But what are a couple like hidden secrets that maybe just people don't know about it, about DC? I can tell you some really great hidden secrets about places on the mall because, like I said, ultimately, a lot of places people do want to go to the mall. So I'll give you a few there, and then I can give you a couple that are off the mall. One of my favorite stories is based around the American Indian Museum. So the American Indian Museum is part of the Smithsonian Complex, and it's on the mall. And the museum itself is architecturally stunning. It's very unique. But the American Indian Museum was actually built on a former brothel. And so... This brothel was one of over a hundred brothels that existed in DC during the Civil War era. And so I don't think a lot of people know that. It's even people who've lived here for years. During the Civil War era, of course, people were coming in and out of the city, soldiers, generals, and so forth. And so brothels became very, very popular and very, very prosperous. And there was actually an area between today, Capitol Hill and Federal Triangle, which is not too far from the White House, that was actually called Hooker's Division because brothels basically were concentrated in that area. And so the brothel that where the American Indian Museum now stands was also owned by a woman. Her name was Mary Ann Hall. So she was a madam, which of course many brothels back then were not owned by women. And she was considered to be the most successful brothel owner in the entire city. So that I think is a pretty cool story. When they were excavating the land to build the museum many years later, they found all these different relics from the brothel. Um, they found champagne corks. They found short uh, champagne flutes and porcelain dishes and so forth, which kind of led you to believe that they lived a very nice and very uh, wealthy lifestyle. Another story on the mall that is not as maybe scandalous as a brothel, but a really feel-good story is when you walk down the mall closer to down towards the Washington Monument and down towards Lincoln Memorial, there's the famous carousel that is pretty iconic. But the carousel was not always on the mall. It actually came from an amusement park right outside of D.C., closer to Baltimore. And so it was at this amusement park called Gwyn Oak. And the amusement park, the same day that Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial, that amusement park discontinued segregation. And so on that exact day, it was the first time ever that an African-American child and two white children rode on the carousel at the same time. 
And so about 20 years later or so, the carousel makes its way to the National Mall, was purchased by private citizens, and that story was not known until years later. And now if you go to the carousel, there's a little plaque there that commemorates kind of its small role in the civil rights movement, but also I think just so fitting that the carousel now stands not too far where Dr. King delivered his speech. So I just, I, that story I love. If you want to go off with the mall, I mentioned the Arboretum. The Arboretum I think is so great because A, it's outside, it's very accessible and it's free. Uh, it's family friendly. And one of my favorite stories in my book from the Arboretum is within the Arboretum, there is a bonsai collection. It's at this little museum that's within the Arboretum. And the bonsai collection has over 50, well over 50 bonsais. But there's one in particular that's very famous there. Um, One, because it's over 400 years old. But also this particular tree survived the bombing of Hiroshima in 1945. And so that tree, along with its owner and house, somehow miraculously survived the bombing. Well, years later in 1976, Japan gifted about 53 bonsais to the United States as a friendship offering. And this was one of those trees that was included in Japan's gift. And so years and years later, the grandsons of the gentleman who owned the tree They came to the Arboretum in Washington to see this tree that they heard so many amazing stories about from their grandfather. So that's another just, I feel, very feel-good story that I love. What what incredible stories. Like Between the the tree and then the plaque on the carousel, it's one of those things where you can go to D.C. and, and literally walk right by it, and you would never know these stories. And that's just so fascinating. Yes. And honestly, and you know, I was a former teacher for 17 years. So we took field trips all the time. We would go to the national mall and so forth. I did not know about this carousel story until I researched my book. And I had lived here for 19 years. I taught in DC for 17 years. And so people who've lived here their entire lives, or at least for a good portion of their life. Yeah. Some of these stories are very surprising to even natives, um, as well as of course, people who are visiting. So Those are fun stories that go a little bit deeper than just, like you said, you know, going to the memorials, kind of standing and sitting on the steps for a couple minutes and then, you know, moving on for sure. That's awesome. I mean, now, now I really got to get your book so I can, I can dive a little bit deeper. I tell you one more fun story. Okay. So this is not on the mall, which I think is also fun. It's called Barbie pond. Are you, have you ever heard of Barbie pond? No. So if you leave the the National Mall and you go to Northwest D.C., not too far from the White House, so in Northwest D.C., it's a neighborhood called uh, Logan Circle, which is near DuPont Circle, which some people might be familiar with. There is these artists, these people who live on this tree-lined street on Q Street in Northwest. Their front yard, they have created this art installation. It's called Barbie Pond, and it is strictly made of Barbie dolls. But it's become this phenomenon. I mean, it's on TripAdvisor. They have all these Instagram followers. I think you can even find it on Google Maps. It's become this big deal because (laughs) this Barbie Pond installation, which, of course, is very quirky and very, you know, a little whimsical, a little unique and a little weird. But it's really cool because what these artists do is that every month or so, they change the theme of this Barbie Pond installation. And they either match the theme to a holiday like Halloween or July 4th or St. Patrick's Day, or 
They will also model their themes off of um, the political climate in D.C. or also activism. So when the election was going on, of course, they had ballot boxes and, you know, you could choose Ken or or Ken or Barbie. But it was also really kind of encouraging people to get out and vote and to use their voice. During Pride Month, you know, it's a whole pride installation. It's, so it's such a fun, quirky installation that people, it's free. You walk by, you're on the sidewalk, you might stay for a couple minutes. It's family friendly. It's so unique. It's so unusual. And it's just a fun, weird <laughs> place to visit. <laughs> but I think a lot of people think that DC is very buttoned up and very conservative. And there is some of that, but there's also these, you know, really interesting, unique um, places to go as well that are a little bit more fun. Yeah, that does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. No, we, we only have a couple more minutes. So I don't want to miss out on talking about the food uh, in DC because I know that just from all these people from all these other countries, all kind of converging in one spot to do all the political things. On top of that, they're bringing their their food and their culture with them. So like, what are some of like your favorite spots if we want like hit breakfast or like a sweet treat or like a nice meal? Where would we go for all those things? Absolutely. Okay. So one of the things, if you're in DC, one of the rare things about DC is abundance of Ethiopian restaurants. And so I had read somewhere that DC has the biggest population of Ethiopians outside of Ethiopia. There are a lot of restaurants that are Ethiopian. And, and if you know, Ethiopian fare isn't something that everybody has had either has access to or has had. I love it. It's very vegetarian friendly. Um, you eat with your hands and so forth. There's one restaurant that I love in particular called Ethiopic. It's on H Street, H as in horse, northeast. I don't live too far from there, so I go there pretty often. It's very authentic and it's just it's delicious. So that's one of my favorite places. But even if you don't go to Ethiopic, I would strongly suggest going to an Ethiopian restaurant when you're here. It's just a unique experience. Not too far from Ethiopic, across the street, basically, also on H Street, is called is a restaurant called Fancy Radish. And so Fancy Radish is a vegan restaurant, which I think many people may not be familiar or have access to vegan fare. This is a fancy vegan restaurant in the sense that it's well, not fancy in the sense that you can wear jeans, you could wear shorts, but it's it's more upscale and it's very, very unusual and very rare because everything is vegan. It is so good. I bring friends from out of town who are carnivores, who are huge meat eaters, and every single person walks away loving fancy radish. They're the offshoot of a restaurant in Philadelphia called Veg. So Veg in Philadelphia is a very famous vegan place. And then those owners opened up this restaurant in in DC on H Street. So those are a few uh, favorites. I love. I talked about Navy Yard earlier on the water. Two restaurants I really like there. One is called Chloe, like the name. It's seasonal. It's local. It's kind of like Mid Atlantic modern American food, and everything is so fresh and everything is seasonal. And every time I go there, whether it's for brunch or dinner is fantastic. And they have a really nice patio area that you can sit at as well. So if it's nice outside, it's a great place to sit. Across the street from Chloe is another restaurant that I love called Albi, A-L-B-I. That's in Navy Yard on 4th Street and uh, Southeast. And that's a restaurant that focuses on food from like the Turkey, Israel, Georgia, Armenia region. And they just have very good, unique food. Their wines come from like Macedonia and Georgia, which 
I find very unique. I don't, you know, often drink wines from Georgia and Macedonia and they just do a really nice job. So they're very close to one another in Navy Yard. I would recommend both of them highly. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's amazing to be in a place like that where you have all these unique flavors that unfortunately aren't really available in a lot of other parts of the U.S., and so it's good to be while you're there to kind of go outside your comfort zone, try something a little bit new, try something you, that's a little unique to you, and just then go away having some amazing food in your belly. Absolutely. So speaking of that, we're actually out of time for this, and now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited D.C., where should they go and what should they eat? Okay, other than Ethiopian, <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Dabney. The Dabney restaurant is in Shaw, which is a neighborhood in Northwest DC. There's a famous place there called the Blagden Alley. And that's an alley that has all these great restaurants. The Dabney is at 122 Blagden Alley Northwest. And what I love about it is that it's similar to Chloe. It's modern American, it's local ingredients. Their menu is not super, super extensive, but every single thing there is fresh farm-to-table, local ingredients, seasonal ingredients, and just delicious. I would highly, highly recommend the Dabney for sure. Right on. What's your favorite dish when you go there? Um, So I don't eat meat. (laughs) So whenever I go there, whatever vegetables are in season, which I know is very general, but they really are seasonal. So it just depends on when I go. So if I'm in there in the fall, they'll have amazing, you know, root vegetables. They'll have turnips and, and carrots and so forth. If I'm there in the spring, it's more, you know, asparagus and, you know, lettuces and so forth. It really depends on the season because the menu changes so frequently. Oh, sure. So you can go there pretty much any time. And even if you go multiple times, you're going to have a different experience every time. Yeah, pretty much. It's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So you lived in the D.C. area for almost 20 years. What's one of your most memorable stories of being there? You know, when my husband and I moved to D.C., we had come here before on field trips and so forth, but we didn't know D.C. very well. And so one day we had we had bikes and we decided just to bike around the city. And I think that we biked literally for 10 to 12 hours throughout the day and stopping at every single monument and memorial and just getting kind of the lay of the land. And I remember us going to the FDR Memorial, which... I don't think it's a lot of um, as much hype as the Lincoln or the Jefferson. And the FDR, in my book, is my favorite memorial in the city because it's all outside, which, of course, a lot of memorials are. But it follows the four terms of FDR's presidency. So it's huge because every part of the memorial is a different term. There are waterfalls. It's one of the only memorials also like Eleanor um, Roosevelt is also featured. So a lot of memorials don't feature women. There's a, a statue of his dog. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's also because it's so big, a lot of people run through it. It's that kind of extensive. And I just remember parking our bikes, getting out, exploring, and walking around, and going along the water. And just, that was just one of my favorite days, which is kind of exploring by bike and just going to all these different memorials and monuments that I didn't know anything about at that moment. Oh, that's really awesome. It, it, it's nice and also just to be able to take your time and not be in a rush and just kind of uh, absorb it all in. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of happy times, where's the happiest happy hour in DC? Ah, so I'm going to give you a few places. I love to be on the water, as you probably have gathered at this point. One place in Georgetown that I love is called Fiola Mare. It's pretty fancy. If you go inside, it's definitely much more upscale restaurant. It's right on the water at the Washington Harbor in Georgetown. 
because they're on their water, the outside setting is beautiful. It's at 3100 K Street, Northwest. The outdoor space is wonderful. You can sit on the dock. People you know, are, are riding their bikes, running by. There are people kayaking on the water and they just have great wine. It's an Italian restaurant. They have great seafood that you can just kind of sit and enjoy the water. Another place I like going back to Navy Yard, it's a place called The Salt Line. That's right on the water in Navy Yard. And that's a little bit more casual. The salt line is mostly, they have a big raw bar and you can get oysters and great lobster rolls and so forth. That's at 79 Potomac Avenue Southeast. It's very close to the National Stadium. But again, they have this great bar outside on the water that you almost feel like you're not in the city. It almost reminds you of like a tiki bar that you might see, you know, in a waterfront place like Annapolis or so forth. And it's just It's fun. It's super casual. People are there in flip-flops and shorts. And it's it's my other favorite place to grab drinks, especially around the happy hour time. Oh, that sounds perfect for me. I, I wear flip-flops as much as I can after after being in the in corporate world for all those years. Being able to wear flip-flops is like my uh, my, my daily luxury. And so- yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think you would love the salt line. I think that would be your spot. Right on. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in D.C.? All right, so two places I love for pizza. One place is called We The Pizza. That's in Capitol Hill, right on Pennsylvania Avenue and about 3rd Street, Southeast. If you ever watch Top Chef, the owner of We The Pizza, he's a former Top Chef contestant. They have excellent pizza. I don't eat pepperoni, my husband does. He loves it there. I also get their mushroom pizza and they have a great Greek pizza. The owner is Greek, so he does a nice play on like a Greek salad, but it's on a pizza. So We The Pizza is one of my favorites. And another place, which is kind of a newcomer in D.C., is called Nicoletta. And that's a pizza place that is, there's two locations. There's one in uh, Northwest at 901 4th Street. And then there's also one on the water near the Navy Yard Southwest area. It's called Nicoletta. And they have these small, like, personal pizzas that you would almost get in, in Italy, you know, like your own personal pizza. And they are delicious. They're come out of like a wood burning fire oven and they're just delicious. Uh, now that's awesome. I, you know, pizza is one of those things where everybody's like, oh, that's just pizza. But there's so many different varieties and so many different variations. You can, uh, you can almost eat it every day if you, if you wanted to. Absolutely. And I could eat it every day for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously you've written the book on DC. You travel a lot just personally. We were talking about all the international travel you, you do uh, before we started recording. So what's one of your best travel tips? You know, it's similar to something that you and I actually talked about before we recorded is that talking to locals and like getting the word from people who actually live there. So I am a planner for sure. If I'm traveling somewhere, especially if it's somewhere new, I do like to have a structure. I do have to like to have some places booked in terms of maybe, you know, some restaurants or a tour or so forth. But I also try to save a couple different days that are not chock full of, of activities because I like to talk to people, whether it's someone working at a restaurant or a bartender at the bar, or if we are taking, you know, a kayaking tour, asking, you know, our kayak guide or talking to people who actually live there because nine times out of 10, people are going to give you like the real places to go or the places they love that you might not see in guidebooks or you might not see on Google or you might not see on TripAdvisor, but the places that, you know, the locals go to. And honestly, I've, I don't think I've ever been disappointed. And it's usually a, you know, someone will recommend a tiny 
hole in the wall bar that's, you know, in an alley that you have to, you know, knock seven times to get in, you know, those kind of places, <laughs> right? That you would never, ever, ever know about. Yeah. I was in Greece once and we went, we were on this, we were in, uh, on Crete, on the island of Crete. Our driver, our taxi driver recommended this restaurant that was family owned. And I mean, it was so hard to get to. We had to follow this maze of alleyways and it was the best meal we had during our entire trip. It was tiny. The family was working there. They, I mean, that's what I love is getting those, you know, those hidden gems and those local recommendations for the people who live there and know the city or the area best. Well, for sure. I think you kind of actually had a little bit of two tips there. There was one of talking to locals, which maybe people aren't feeling a little extroverted. They can just listen to our show. They'll get a lot of tips that way. But the, I think the more important one is that sometimes people, when they travel, they just try to cram so much into their whatever days that they're going to be in that city. And sometimes you need to leave a little bit of room for the unknown, for like a little bit of adventure. I think that's like the, the bigger thing. And the, just kind of explore. And even if you don't feel like talking to somebody, just walk around and walk down that alley or walk down that, that random street and see what's down there. And don't be in such a hurry. Exactly. I think that's that's the perfect way to put it. Absolutely. Well, Joanne, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips uh, for DC. And I've been there, like I said, a, a number of times, and I learned still a lot more just from our conversation. So can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and a little bit about your book? And then if somebody has questions about your book or about DC, what's the best way for them to reach you on social media? Absolutely. Yes. So I, of course, I am the author of this book, but I also, I mentioned earlier, I am a uh, former DC public school teacher. I now co-own a tutoring company called Capital Teachers. I own this company with another former teacher and a very good friend of mine. And uh, we work with families all across the DC area and offer tutoring services and so forth. I'm also a yoga instructor and a bar instructor and so forth. But in terms of this book, um, I wrote this book um, because I before I was writing a travel and DC and food blog, which I still do dabble in here and there, but that kind of led me to this book. And you can find me, I have a website for my book called secretdcbook.com. On that website, of course, you can get my book, but you also can learn about other stories that didn't make it into my book, other book events that I have going on, whether they're in person or virtual. I'm also on Facebook as just Joanne Hill, I have a public profile. And I'm on Instagram as Joanne underscore Hill underscore DC <laughs> because Joanne Hill is a very common name. So I had to have a lot of underscores. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, website, Instagram, or Facebook really are kind of the best ways to, to contact or reach me. We'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes. And Joanna, it's been a pleasure talking to you and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Yeah, absolutely. This is so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. What an interesting conversation with Joanne. I've been to DC on numerous occasions, and it's been a different experience every time. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash DC. We want to say thank you to Cirque du Soleil for being today's sponsor. Intermission is over. Oh, by Cirque du Soleil is now performing only at Bellagio Las Vegas. Buy tickets now at CirqueDuSoleil.com forward slash O or learn how to enter to win one of three pairs of tickets by visiting today's show notes. Join us next time as we visit Bangalore, India to speak with my new friend Rahul Rajguru of Taruhi.com. In this episode, Rahul and I talk about exploring Nandi Hills, the colorful flowers at Labaf Botanical Gardens, and the city's themed pubs. We hope you'll join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. 
Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any of our coming destinations.